The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to turn now to God's Word together. Do you guys, if you guys have a Bible, we are uh, going to be in the book of Galatians. We have been in the book of Galatians since the beginning of January, and we are now in Galatians, uh, the middle part of Galatians, Galatians 6, I'm sorry, Galatians 3, uh, 6 through 14. We're going to do is I'm going to read our passage for us. I'm going to pray, and if you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back. If you don't have a Bible, we got all the verses up here, so we can all just kind of enjoy uh, reading this together. I'm going to read Galatians 3. Then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God who would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and then and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit. And we consider all of these uh, scripture passages and quotations. We want to see your heart for us and what you spoke to Abraham uh, so many thousands of years ago. And we pray that we receive it this morning and enjoy the blessing of Jesus in our lives. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to invite us uh, to consider maybe um, what may be one of the worst experiences of our lives. Um, I'm not thinking of the death of family members or anything like that. I'm thinking of sitting in a traffic jam for at least two hours. Has anybody happened to anybody? I'm sure. Does anybody enjoy sitting in traffic jams? Before I go on, I just want to make sure. Does anybody enjoy sitting in traffic jams? Right? They are some of the worst experiences of our life, right? You're sitting there, you're in a car, maybe it's hot outside, and you're just trying to figure out, like, do I keep the AC hot? Do I keep the AC cold? Where is that AC? How do I stay comfortable? I'm sitting here for two hours. I'm on the right road. Like, where did all these people come from? I'm on the right road. I'm supposed to get to the right place because I'm following the signs. If we all just follow the signs, we'll all get there. If you guys know what I'm get there at the same time, you follow the right signs, you know where you're going, you know that when you get there, it's going to be a great experience of where it is you're going, hopefully. And then two, three hours down the road, you finally, you know, inch by inch, you, you begin to see everybody kind of funnel to the left around whatever's going on, and you get to it, and you see, maybe in this situation that I'm talking about, a turned over semi-truck, right? There it is, semi-truck, turned over right in the middle of the road. Everybody's had to be diverted around it. It's just causing so much chaos, congestion. A traffic jam is what Paul is talking about here in Galatians 3, believe it or not. When Paul is talking about the Galatians 3 experience, he's talking about at the end of the passage, he's talking about the blessing of Abraham. He's talking about how the blessing of Abraham was for the nations, and that 
the God's blessing to Abraham then kind of resulted in all this Old Testament history of Israel, and Israel received, we just read the Ten Commandments uh, earlier in our, in our scripture reading, we read all of what God gives them, and Israel's history is kind of like this traffic jam that I've invited us to all uh, endure, <laughs> in that they had basically taken the law of God and jackknifed it on the road of God's blessing and were causing this massive buildup, this massive congestion, this massive traffic jam of God's blessings getting to the world. That's what we're talking about in Galatians. I mean, it's all the, the, what Paul's going about one way or the other, all these scripture verses he's talking about. We are living in the resolution of that traffic jam and what that traffic jam, what that traffic jam gives us in Jesus. So that's what we're working through this. We're going to be talking a lot about um, what it means to experience the blessed life and the cursed life because, as anybody would know who's been in a traffic jam, being in a traffic jam is like a cursed reality. (laughs) It's just like people are cutting each other off left and right. They're just acting all in weird and sinful and horrible ways. And a blessed life is getting to where you want to go and enjoying God's goodness to us. Here we have, in Galatians 3, 6 through 14, God wants us, he invites us to live a blessed life, right? We're not talking about health and wealth and all that stuff. We're talking about enjoying God and who he is and who he is for us. So here's the main point of this passage, and we're going to uh, jump right down into our our points and kind of start uh, working through this text. The main point of this passage, enjoy the blessing. Do we have the slide for this? Enjoy the blessing of God's life for you in Christ. That's the main point of this whole passage. Enjoy the blessings of God's life for you in Christ. What we're going to do is we're going to start by looking at what is a blessed life. We're going to start out by there, looking at what a blessed life is. And before we kind of get into, I have three, three marks of what a blessed life is, and I have three marks of what a cursed life is. And then we're going to find those resolved in Jesus, so just so you kind of know where we're going. But before we get into it, I want to take you back to the very early pages of the Bible into Genesis, Genesis 12 and 15, to understand who it, what is it we're talking about when we talk about Abraham and his blessings. If we can throw that out, there we go. I know this is small. I'll read it, I promise. Here we have, when we're talking about a blessed life, this is the very beginning of what it means to live a blessed life and what God's giving us in Abraham. And, God's, and the Lord said to Abram, that was Abraham's first name, before he gets like the extension added onto it. Before, uh, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then he picks up in a couple chapters later. And these things, the word of the Lord, um, after these things, the word of the Lord continued childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Pause. God's promise to Abraham was, you're going to receive this entire land in front of you, and you're going to have children and children and children. And Abraham's like, well, bro, um, I'm 90 years old. Ain't nothing happening thus far. It doesn't seem like anything's changing. What's, where's the payoff coming, right? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought, and this is God, he brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then the Lord said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, that's Abraham, he believed the Lord. And he was old, old, Old Testament. Being 95 was not like a prescription for having kids. Like, that's just not the way it worked. Wasn't likely to happen. 
So he was certainly believing God for a miracle. But he's invited, just imagine this moment. He's being invited to go outside, look at the stars. I know it's hard with all the city lights and all that stuff now, but it, um, if you've ever been like in this place where you can, like there's no like uh, light pollution or whatever, and you can just see the stars, you can actually see the Milky Way. <laughs> Like it is actually there. It's not just a term or a candy bar. Um, looking up, sees it all there before him. I have no way of getting this on my own. But God is saying, as many stars are in the sky, that is how many heirs and children I will have. What does Abraham believe in God for? I think that what he's believing God for is for God himself. Right? I think... When Abraham looks up at the sky, he is seeing not just miracles are going to happen for him. I think it's something like this. He is believing the undeserved, surprising, deepening, expanding life of God for him. The undeserved, deepening, expanding life of God for him. Because that's the only way he's going to get from here, old wrinkly man, to stars worth of children. Believing that God's life is better and for him rather than all of the despair, all of the nothingness that he has right now. So when we're talking about a blessed life, I think this is what we're talking about. That a blessed life is enjoying the undeserved, surpassed, deepening, expanding life of God for you. So, here we're going to pick up. Now, first point under what is a blessed life, right? The marks of a blessed life is a family of broken companions. Can we just finish out the story of Abraham? Abraham gets these promises from God. He's like, I'm going to inherit everything. And then not only once, but twice, he lets his wife, he actually throws his wife under the rug because she's super beautiful. And he's like, uh, he goes and visits other towns. And he's like, um, she's my sister. You guys can have her. <laughs> Does it Not once, but twice. And then, thankfully, God watches out for his wife, and he's kind of like, uh-uh, that doesn't happen in my, my way of doing things. But Abraham, uh, needless to say, is not exactly like the most upstanding person. But it is important that he is the father of our faith. Because, not because of his perfect life, but because of the family characteristic of his life, Right? So if you are aware, um, three major world religions comes out of Abraham, right? You have uh, the Jewish religion, which comes uh, oldest one, right? Christians come next, and then you have Muslims that come about 600 years after uh, the start of Christianity. And they all look back to Abraham and say, he's our guy. And they do various things. The Jews say Israel... Um, um, Isaac is the father, uh, the son of, a of Abraham. He's our guy. Muslims say, no, it's Ishmael. But what Paul does here is he says it's the faith of Abraham that is the family characteristic, the family mark. It is the mark of what it means to be in Abraham's family, to receive the blessing that God promised to Abraham. It is the family line to be, to have the faith of Abraham, which is important for the rest of us because some of us come from families, I would say all of us come from families where we don't have a great upstanding history, right? There are things that we are either embarrassed about or just frankly, like, like I'm not exactly like the worst dad ever, but I'm not the greatest dad ever, right? My kids are going to have the issues they're going to have to deal with because I'm me. And I'm just a psychotic, crazy pastor who just bumbles around a house, right? 
we all have a need for a renewed family line. And that new family line is by faith that God is for us. Right? Maybe you don't have a great family. Maybe you don't have a great family line or a great family history. What this does is it invites you to have a family characteristic, what's your last name, so to speak, that's marked by what God is doing for you rather than things that you have to kind of like justify or get over. Right? We all have those things in our family. Certainly Abraham had those things in his life. But the blessing that God gives Abraham is that he is for him, and we have a family of broken people beside us. Second thing, verse 8 here I want to pick up. Verse 8, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Right? Actually, what goes on here is um, in this whole passage we're looking at, um, Paul has six quotations from the Old Testament. It's probably one of the most condensed quotations sections of the Old, of the Old Testament in the letters of Paul. He has all these quotations, and he's stringing together the Bible, and we're going to get to kind of some of these uh, in a minute, but the main point is that when Paul thinks about this book in front of us, he thinks about it in big story, big terms. There is something that the Bible is doing. It's not just a, re- a list of rules. It's not just a bunch of parables, right? It's not even sort of like good, wise sayings. It has all those things, but this book is going somewhere. It has a direction that it is going in, right? It's not just trying to say like, here's a little some hallmark statements to help you understand your, your, your life. It is a story that you are invited into that then is going somewhere. That's why we're talking about this whole thing of all things being made new this year because this world and your life, despite what you feel about 2020 and 2021 or the bills that you have to pay this week, it is going somewhere. This Bible is inviting you into that story, and it is a story that gives you life, right? Romans 15.4, another place where Paul talks about this, the Bible. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Right? The, the point of the Bible, amidst all the confusing stuff, which we want to understand, is that we have hope and understand the direction of where God's leading us. Everybody's trying to make sense of their life, right? Whether it's conspiracy theories from 2020 or 2021, or why the Red Sox uh, can't seem to keep any good players. Everybody has to have some story that they grip their lives with, right? By the way, if you've got any reads on the Red Sox, I want to know it because I'm just, like, not happy about this year. But... Everybody is trying to find a story to make sense of the world around them, right? I have, like, I, I have friends from like all walks of life. I have friends who are like totally bought in on all the conspiracy theories. Love them. They're great. Don't buy in all that stuff. But they're just trying to make sense of the world around them. When you are believing in who God is for you, you're not just getting God himself, but you're getting God's story. You are being invited into the, the river of where he is going with what he is doing with the world and what he's doing with you. Third thing we see here is a comprehensively inclusive family. Verse 9, a comprehensively inclusive family. This is actually a phrase that I get from uh, Doug Logan. Uh, Doug Logan is the, um, he's one of the directors in Acts 29, the network of churches that we are a part of. 
Um, he is also the president and dean of School of Urban Ministry at Grimke Seminary. Um, it's a seminary that helps train church planters and pastors. Um, the phrase, a comprehensively inclusive humanity, is I think what Paul is talking about here, right? That the Gentiles by faith, that, they, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And then verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Remember how we talked about that mark of what it means to be in the family of God? Is merely believing all of what God says about himself for you. That means that we're going to look, if we were to pull all the people of God together from around the world, most of them, I would hope, I would hope you'll know this, are not going to have white skin. <laughs> A lot of them are going to be very different. Very different cultures. They're going to have very different foods that they eat. They're going to have very different ways of doing things. Like we think when we, like, for example, we think about like marriage ceremonies and what that means. Like we think two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon or d'oeuvres afterwards. Like if you ever go to an African wedding, that ain't the way it goes. <laughs> they do things very differently. Two o'clock is like sometime in the afternoon and there's like a whole thing with, you know, whatever. It's not my thing. I, I, I can't even pretend to know. I'm sure Peter, Peter knows more than I do. But it's very different. It's very different, right? Oh, I see. I found the problem. It's not locked in. Here we go. I'm like, why is this? Much better. Sorry. It was like flapping around in my ear. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> Sorry. You come for this sermon, you get the jokes. Um, Hebrews 11 gives us a picture of what this looks like for Abraham in his life. Hebrews 11 talks about, for he was looking forward, this is Abraham, to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. These all died in faith, having received the promised uh, things, um, having not received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. For people who seek thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, right? This is what but Abraham is seeking a homeland. For if they had been thinking of a land for which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What I want you to see here, what the phrase I want you to get here at the very end of this, Abraham is desiring a God in a God-drenched world is basically what he's believing in. A God-drenched world. And then the response of God is to say, anybody who believes like Abraham, God is not ashamed to be called their God. So people from Hope Center, from streets of Manchester to you know Kenya to South America, all of these different types of people who have this bare, meager faith that God in Jesus is for me. They are a part of this global family now that God builds and makes and then God is proud of. God likes to bring you out and say, these are my kids. I love these people. Right? If you can imagine right now, we are not just meeting in a building with ceiling and floors and all that stuff. God is actually among us, proud to be among us because he is saying, these are my people. This is my family. I love this crew. That's what Hebrews 11 means for us. That's what this blessing of Abraham is. An inclusive family, a life-giving story, a new identity. 
But the implication is that God wants you, if you're not in his family, he wants you in his family. Now, before we get to how Jesus fits into this picture, you know, we've been talking a lot about kind of general terms. Before we get to that, we have to describe what you might call the problem, so to speak. And this is we're going to talk about a cursed life, right? A life-giving life, a, a, the marks of a blessed life, family, a life-giving story, a comprehensive, inclusive humanity is met on the other side, so to speak, with marks of a cursed life. So, Paul is referring to Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Before we get into the marks of a cursed life, I want to ask, what is a cursed life? We talk about what a blessed life is. Right? A blessed life is the undeserved, surprising life under the judgment of God. It is a life that is absent in a certain sense of God's life-giving presence. It is a life on our own terms, trying to meet demands that we will never meet, and we will always, in a cursed life apart from Jesus, experience some type of suffocating, demanding, and degrading life under the judgment of God. I want to quick. I want to clip through these real quick, help us kind of see what Paul's talking about here, because I think we get these in each of these in this um, in this passage. A suffocating life. What is a marked of a, of a cursed life is, verse 10, a suffocating life for all who rely. Note that word, rely. Do they depend on? Do they, do, they, do they need? Do they rely on the works of the law? They are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Right? It is a sense of being underwater. Right? All these things, like... 813 laws in the Old Testament. You must do them all the time. You must do them all the time fully and perfectly. You must do them all the time fully and perfectly and completely, and you might say, happily. It is a suffocating experience. With the Bible, thankfully, you have those explicit 813 laws. But it is an experience that many of us know of what, it li- what it's like to live under these oppressive rules and regulations and uncommunicated expectations. It's suffocating. Can you imagine, for example, um, imagine wanting to visit a church and asking, what, the, what, what's it, what do I need to wear? Just to, What do I need to wear to go to church? Like, well, obviously clothes are a baseline. But what if the church said to you something like this? There's no dress code to attend our public service, but in case you're wondering... A majority of our church members wear their Sunday best. You're welcome to come as you are, but don't plan to stay that way. We are trying to be more like Jesus every week. To me, that sounds like bondage. Because the implication is, when you come and you become more like Jesus, you wear your Sunday best and you abide by all these rules and regulations that we have set out, which we don't quite define. But it sounds like something that would be a suffocating experience. I'm sure many of us know what it's like to have. I think religion does a great job of, of enhancing this, this suffocating experience of, I'm just trying to live my life, yet how do I do this? I don't know. How do I live up to these rules and expectations? I didn't know what they were. Maybe this is something that goes on in your relationships. Maybe something that goes on in your marriage. Maybe something that goes on in your job. It doesn't have to be just church. But the sense of, like, I just, I, I'm just trying to do my best, and I can't seem to measure up. That sense of things 
it is a part of the cursed experience of a suffocating life, of, of rules that you cannot satisfy. Verse 10 also gives us a sense of a demanding life. Right? It is a demanding life because it's not merely that you're suffocating and are not being able to reach these things, but, but they demand something of you. They show you how little you can actually accomplish and change about you. Right? You realize the Old Testament is great. We just read Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Right? It is made to do something to you. It is made to do something for you. But if you try to live up to everything in it on your own terms, in your own way, it will be a demanding experience because you will see at the very core and root of who you are, you cannot continue to live up to even your best expectations and your best designs for your life, right? We, we can't even live up to our best intentions, right? We, we, we want to talk about being like, we want to be for freedom, we want to be for peace, we want to be for the embitterment of other people's lives, right? I don't know if you guys are aware of this. It, when we think of like, for example, um, the freedom of slaves in America, that whole history, obviously a big part of our current discussion, we think about it a lot with all the Black Lives Matter stuff, and we look back and we think like Abraham Lincoln really did a great job, you know, getting rid of all that slavery stuff. Like that, that's a, obviously a very simple statement, but you realize like when we make Abraham Lincoln like this um, model, so to speak, of freedom and liberty, we sometimes don't are not aware Abraham Lincoln's plan. Do you know what his plan was for freed slaves in America? Deportation and colonization of Haiti and Liberia. <laughs> He wanted to send black Americans back to Africa or down to the Caribbean, but he did not want them to be integrated within American culture. So while we laud him for all of his work for liberty and justice, even those expectations of what liberty and justice is, he cannot live up to those. Certainly he did a great thing, right? I'm not saying like, oh, it was bad to free slaves. Like That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that was a good thing, but even the best expectations of what that means, he fell short of that, and he's certainly on the global history list of people who did great things for liberty and justice. So should we curse Abraham Lincoln? That's a sense we're left with from this passage. If you cannot abide by all the, wa- the, the rules of God's law, you are left in this ambiguity of, is my life ever going to measure up? We cannot keep up with a good law. The law was not meant to trick us, right? It's not like a speed trap, right? Like, um, I'm not going to say whose house I may have been driving to, but um, if I were had been driving driving out to Aaron Sanford's house, there is a speed trap <laughs> right there, right when you get in New Boston, right? And I I may have been pulled over by a police officer, and I may have used my my card my card of like. I'm a pastor, and I was leaving a religious service. I didn't know this, and I got off. <laughs> but the law is not like that, right? The law is not there to kind of trick you. Because it was like it, it, this, the road should have been 50 miles an hour, and it was 35, right? So I'm not trying to justify myself, but I'm just saying the speed was wrong. <laughs> God's law is not like that. God's law is actually designed to help you flourish from the inside out, and yet it exposes how deeply flawed we are. Sorry, we've got to keep moving on because we we still got to cover stuff. I can go off on all this stuff. Verse 11, a judge's life. Marks of a, of a cursed life, 
A suffocating life, I could never measure up a demanding life. It exposes who I am deep down. I cannot even change myself. And then verse 11, a judged life. Let's read this. Verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. The, what Paul is commending here is he's saying it is faith, the faith of Abraham, that justifies us for God. We can never justify ourselves. We can never make ourselves right. We can never make ourselves a part of the family of God on our own. We are left under the judgment that we deserve. God's judgment cannot be dealt with by our works. We cannot fix our issue. Yes, life choices, we can improve our lives in various different ways. But faith in what we have, what we need, we need faith in the work of another. And before we move on to talking about how Christ fits into this whole picture, what we've been talking about, there's a moment, um, I'm going to describe it very briefly, and then you can go look at it later. Paul's quoting a lot from the book of Deuteronomy in this. Deuteronomy 11 has this moment as the people of Israel are going into the promised land where God says, I want you to send up people under this mountain over here, uh, Mount Gerizim, chapter 11 of Deuteronomy. Gerizim, flourishing, lush, beautiful mountain. I want you to send six tribes up there. And then I want you to send six tribes over here to Mount Ebal, barren, a wasteland, there's no life. And in the middle of that, Paul says before, I'm sorry, Moses says to them, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. And it will be when the Lord your God will bring you to the land to which you come to possess it. You shall place those blessings upon Mount Gerizim and upon Ebal, and Paul, what Moses is doing in that moment is he is laying out for them an illustration of what we're talking about. The blessed life, flourishing, experiencing the fullness of who God is. A cursed life, barren, suffocating, and dead. Now what Paul walks us towards is a third hill. Here in verse 13, we pick up here with the final hill of what Paul wants to lead us to because we have a hill of blessing and a hill of cursing. And I want to read for us verse 13. Christ redeemed us for the curse from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Can we turn to point three? Christ guaranteed blessing, verse 13 to 14. Sorry, this is my fault on this. Christ, um, Christ guaranteed blessing, verse 13 to 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed that verse would have been. Because that's a verse straight out of Deuteronomy. Again, cursed is anybody who's hanged on a tree. If you remember, do you remember Paul's history, his persecution of Christians? When Paul would have read this verse originally, he would have thought, all my brothers and sisters in the house of Israel, they're going after this guy. Our Bible says that this guy was cursed because he was literally hung on a tree. It's, it's, it, Paul would have looked at this verse and said, it's loving to, get, to prevent these people from worshiping a cursed Messiah. That's what, it would be, that's what Paul's original, like, when he was going out persecuting the church of God, he would have been saying, look, this guy was hung on a tree. Bible says cursed. You guys, it's not going to be good for you to be worshiping him. But what Paul done, then realizes, when God reveals who Jesus is to him, is that it was Jesus was cursed, but he was cursed in Paul's place. He was per- cursed in our place. 
Jesus was cursed. He experienced the fullness of your life apart from God, the fullness of your life without God, the fullness of our life rejecting God, the fullness of our life under a suffocating, demanding, and degrading judgment of God. Jesus experienced the fullness of that on the cross. I mean, when we think about the drama of the cross, it wasn't just that like Jesus was hung up. You realize a part of the whole drama of how Jesus was crucified was to show how cursed he was. Right, he was literally suffocating. Right, that's when you when you nail somebody to a, to a crucifixion, in a crucifixion, they don't die from pain or blood loss; they die from suffocation. Right, he dies under the weight of God's curse, but he does it not because of who Jesus is, but because of who we are, and what Jesus does in our place. See, Jesus sees our life apart from Him. Apart from God's blessing, he sees us under the curse of our lives. And Jesus steps in, and he inherits all of what our life deserves. He inherits all of that in those those few hours on the cross. He takes in all of what our curse would be. All of the ways in which we have... You think about the Ten Commandments that we read earlier, right? Taking the Lord's name in vain, uh, committed adultery, murder... Um, stealing, you know, all these sort of things, the small and minor ways in which we kind of, sh- kind of push them under the divine rug of the universe. Jesus steps in and takes the curse of that lonely existence and absorbs it in our place so that we then experience the fullness of blessing in Jesus. Remember what we talked about earlier, the blessed life is the undeserved, surpassing, deepening, expanding life of God for us. Jesus takes the curse so that he can give us the blessing. And it continues the very faith of Abraham from the beginning. Right, And that's why, actually, this is the only use of the word redeemed in all of the book of Galatians, verse 13. Jesus gives his life to take the curse for us so that he can give us the blessing. He actually fulfills the law twice. Jesus fulfills the law and actually obeying everything perfectly and enjoying the goodness of God as the law demanded. And then he takes the curse for us because we could not do those things as the law demanded. So let's go back, if you can sit with me, and that traffic jam. How does the jackknife of misusing the law on the highway of God's blessing, get removed. Jesus removes it by his death in our place. Jesus removes it. So now, you realize now, that's why the the, the New Testament is so explosive with joy and life and celebration. And that's why, in fact, it ends, verse 14, For in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. The Spirit of God, which was... if you. If you just think back to the very beginning of the Bible, the Spirit is what births the new creation into existence. The Spirit is what hovers over the waters and brings out the life of God in this world. And now in Jesus, the Spirit comes in you and breathes and renews and rejuvenates the life of God in you 
to experience the fullness and heights and depths of human, human experience under the smiling face of God. That's what we get by Jesus embracing the, the frown of God, so to speak, in our place. Now we experience this blessing on the highway of God's goodness for us, right? So if you go back to that traffic jam, how does the, the jackknife get removed? By the death and resurrection of Jesus. So now those blessings... And we're not talking about money and wealth and health and all that stuff. We're talking about a deepening experience of our life in God. That's what we get. That's what we're given. That's why Paul is so insistent. Don't go to using the law again to try to make your life perfect. Go to Jesus, who gives us an unending well of invitation to who God is. Right? And in fact, you'll, you'll note here, there is... A very hint, a, a small hint of the mission, the application of this, the mission of God. Verse 14. So that in Christ the blessings of Abraham might come to the people of Manchester. When you see Gentiles, just substitute in the people of Derry. Even the people of Gosstown and New Boston, West Side Manchester, the people of Bow, the people of. Uh, Wherever I don't know. I can't think of anywhere else. <laughs> they don't matter. No, I'm kidding. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to southern New Hampshire and beyond. All the blessings of God. So that as you experience these blessings, and you share them with the world around you, maybe through this art project that we're trying to do, the concert that we're trying to do, or your regular life and your work and your family, the fullness of God, the blessings of God's life in you, in Christ, on display, and inviting the world around you to enjoy who God is for us in Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.